Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo for today's episode, which is brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace. For sports betting picks. I have only two parts for you today. In part one, I'll give you my thoughts on Napoli's win over Rangers on Wednesday, and in part two, I will preview our match against Sassuolo on Saturday. So let's begin with the Champions League. As I'm sure you're already aware, Napoli won 3-0 on a doppietta from Giovanni Simeone. Leo Ostegaard scored the third, making his European debut. That was our 12th consecutive victory in all competitions, 7 in Serie A and 5 in the Champions League. We've now scored 20 goals in the group stage, which is a record amongst Italian clubs. The European record is 25 scored by PSG in 2017-18. That was a side that featured Edinson Cavani. A few other teams have scored more than 20 goals as well, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Borussia Dortmund. We've also conceded only 4 goals in the competition. For Alex Meret, or perhaps more accurately, for Napoli's back line, it was our second consecutive clean sheet after we conceded at least a goal in six consecutive matches. Rangers managed only one shot on target, and by my count, only four real chances to score. One was right before the end of the first half where Ostegaard got a touch on the shot by Alfredo Morelos, but Alex Meret had to make a pretty good save to push that ball out for a corner kick, so Meret did play his part in getting the clean sheet. Morelos really should have scored in the second half, but somehow Ridvan Yilmaz's cross rolled through his legs right in front of the goal. I didn't do a preview on this match, so I think it's worth mentioning that Rangers had been ravaged by injuries heading into this match. They were missing three central defenders, Connor Goldson with a hamstring injury, Philip Hellandar with a foot injury, and John Sutar with an ankle injury. They were also missing three midfielders, Ryan Jack with a calf injury, Namdi Obafor with an ongoing heart condition, and Yanis Hadji with a knee injury. Finally, they were missing left winger Tom Lawrence with a knee injury, so Giovanni van Bronckhorst had a very limited squad to work with. We'll cover all of that in this review and more, 
But first, let's review the starting lineups. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made six changes to the squad that he fielded on Sunday against Roma, and one change to our predicted starting 11. With Salvatore Sirigu recovering from a muscle injury, Alex Meret was really the only option we had to start in goal. Davide Marfelev wasn't eligible, and we certainly weren't going to start Huberti Dasiak in an important Champions League match. I was happy to see that Primavera goalkeeper Valerio Bofelli got the call-up to play as the third goalkeeper. If you listen to our Primavera reviews, or if you read them at Forza Napoli Press, you will know that that call-up was well deserved. As I mentioned, Leo Ostegaard made his European debut starting over Juan Jesus alongside Kim Min Jae. Mario Rui came back into the starting 11 after Matthias Oliveira played against Roma. That's technically a change in the squad, but they are, of course, both starting caliber players. The same can be said about Matteo Politano, who started over Chucky Lozano on the right wing. In the midfield, Elif Elmas gave Piotr Zelinski a much-needed rest. He played in the midfield three with Stanislav Lobotka and Tanguy Ndombele, who allowed Andre Frank Zomboangisa to continue to rest even though he was back in the squad. I mentioned Politano, he was one of three changes in the attack. Giovanni Simeone started as the number nine, allowing Victor Osimen to rest for the match on Saturday against Sassuolo. I was expecting Giacomo Raspadori to play in the 9, instead Raspadori started on the left wing which allowed Hvica Kvaraschelia to also get some much needed rest. For Rangers, Van Bronckhorst lined up in a 4-3-3 with Alan McGregor in goal. Ben Davies and Leon King started at center back which is what we expected because they were the only two center backs that Rangers had left. Ridvan Yilmaz was a bit of a surprise start at left back. That position typically belongs to Borna Barisic, while James Tavernier started at right back. James Sands and John Lundstrom started in the double pivot behind Malik Tillman, who played as the attacking midfielder. Ryan Kent started on the left wing and Scott Wright started on the right wing. Another surprise, I suppose, was that Alfredo Morello started at striker over Antonio Cholak. I suspect the reason for that was because Van Bronckhorst accepted that his chances of winning this match were slim and decided to rest Batisic and Cholak for the match against Aberdeen at the weekend. Maybe he also considered that Ajax were likely to lose to Liverpool, which they did, so Rangers still have a chance to get into the Europa League. Mind you, they need to beat Ajax by 5 goals or more on the final match day of the group stage, so that is also pretty unlikely. At the same time, Rangers could have the worst performance ever in the group stage of the Champions League. They currently have no points and they've scored only one goal while conceding 19. The worst ever group stage performance belongs to Dinamo Zagreb in 2011-12. That team earned no points, scored 3 goals and conceded 22, so a goal differential of minus 19 compared to Rangers' current goal differential of minus 18. Victoria Pilsen are also in the running for that unwanted title. They've earned no points while scoring three goals and conceding 20. Anyhow, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. There can be only one place to start, and that is with Giovanni Simeone, who got his first start since the first leg against Rangers. Spalletti even apologized to Simeone about that after the Ajax match. It was his first appearance since coming off the bench against Cremonese on October 9th, so he had not played a competitive match in about two weeks, and yet he did not miss a beat. He strolled in and scored two goals in five minutes. 
The first was in the 11th minute and the second was in the 16th minute, which pretty much ended the match right there. The first goal was extremely difficult to convert. Simeone's XG for this match was 1.1. When you consider the second goal, which would have had a fairly high XG and the other chances that Simeone had in the match, namely the save by McGregor early in the second half and then the miss in stoppage time of the second half, you can deduce that the XG on that first goal was fairly low. But he took the chance fantastically well. The finish was not dissimilar to the goal that Osimhen scored against Roma, at least in terms of the angle and trajectory of the shot. I think the Osimhen goal was more difficult to convert because he was running full speed when he took that shot, whereas Simeone had more time to collect himself. However, the reason he had time was because of how brilliant his first touch was on the ball from Di Lorenzo. That was Cholito's fifth of the season and his third in the competition. Five minutes later, he scored his fourth of the competition with a header past McGregor. Now, from the first goal to the second, Rangers were faced with wave after wave of Napoli attacks, where all they could do was clear the ball straight back to us at midfield. Not to take anything away from Simeone, but that goal might as well have been credited to Mario Rui, because that cross could not be any more accurate. Rui now has 5 assists on the season to go along with an assist he got for Portugal in the Nations League. According to Opta Paulo, Cholito's only the second Argentinian to score 4 goals in his first 4 Champions League appearances, and the other is his father Diego Simeone. It seems like there is absolutely nothing Cholito can do wrong right now. He was asked about that stat after the match, and when the journalist asked him if he knew who the other person was, he guessed Lavezzi, which is just the perfect answer a Napoli player could give in that situation. He easily could have guessed someone like Messi or Aguero, but he went with the former Napoli player. He was actually genuinely surprised to learn that his father was the other player, so that was a really nice moment after the match. Unfortunately, Diego's Atletico Madrid did not advance to the knockout stage despite a wild ending to the match against Bayer Leverkusen. If you haven't seen it, Atletico needed a win to keep their hopes alive of advancing. The score was 2-2 when the final whistle was blown, but after the final whistle, VAR awarded Atletico a penalty kick. Unfortunately for Diego, Yannick Carrasco's penalty was stopped, then the rebound hit the bar, and then the second rebound missed the target. Now back to Giovanni, there was another moment in the match where he was celebrating one of his goals, and then he saw the score in the Atletico match, and you could actually see the disappointment in his face that his father's team was not in a position to advance. So again, it was another very human moment from Simeone. My favorite Cholito moment on the night was during the Champions League anthem, where Simeone participated in the Napoli tradition of shouting the champions at the end of the anthem. For me, that perfectly summed up the character of Giovanni Simeone. He genuinely seems like he is enjoying every second of his time at Napoli, even though he is not playing all that often. It certainly helps that he's already scored six goals in all competitions, four in the Champions League. He's managed to do that in only 367 minutes of playing time, which is an average of roughly one goal every hour. Remarkably, in 10 appearances, eight of which were as a substitute, he's already surpassed Andrea Patania's goal total 
in each of his two seasons at Napoli. Patania scored five goals in the 2020-21 season and four goals in the 21-22 season. So that is a significant upgrade. And that's pretty wild considering we sold Patania for almost identical payment terms as we purchased Simeone for. Friend of the show Mo Salad posted the goals our strikers have tallied so far this season. I just want to take a second to read it out. Osimen 5 goals in 9 games, Raspadori 5 goals in 12 games, and Simeone 6 goals in 10 games. That's 16 goals between them, and that is just our strikers. None of them are even the top goal scorer in the squad. That title belongs to Kvica Karaschelia, who has 7 goals in all competitions. Cavada obviously didn't play in this one. Spalletti said after the match that he was going to bring on Cavada and Zielinski together because Rangers were having a decent spell and those two would have allowed us to regain possession, but then Ostegaard scored so he just didn't need to use Cavada there. I'll come back to the Ostegaard goal in a moment, but I want to quickly comment on Raspadori. In this match, I think Spalletti answered the question of who is our backup left winger? Now, we all know that Raspadori played occasionally on the left wing for Sassuolo, so this wasn't anything groundbreaking, but Spalletti hasn't used him there a whole lot. I believe the only time he's played on the left wing for Napoli was for a portion of the Spezia match. Mind you, he ended up scoring the game winner in that match. What was really interesting, though, was how much freedom Spalletti gave Raspadori to roam. Raspadori constantly drifted into the middle of the park and basically played as a 10 behind Simeone. And when he did that, Mario Rui pushed up and basically played as the left winger. Simeone commented on Raspadori's play after the match as well, saying that he creates space for the striker. That has become a bit of a philosophy for us now, and it's something that Spalletti has mentioned on more than one occasion, which is that our players no longer have set positions, and they no longer play within the lines. Rather, they've now developed such good chemistry that they simply go into the space. Now, Raspadori didn't score, but he did assist on the third goal with a well-delivered cross from the corner flag, but the header from Ostegaard was just phenomenal. He got a ton of power on the header, especially considering he had to come back to get to that ball. As I mentioned earlier, it was his first appearance in European competition, so of course that means that it was also his first goal in European competition. With that goal, Ostegaard became our 16th different goal scorer in all competitions. The last thing I want to comment on is the structure of the team. Obviously, everything is going well right now, and that may not be the case all season, but it seems like the healthy competition we have ongoing at various different positions is actually improving the squad as a whole. I think Mario Rui and Matthias Oliveira have both been very good in their own different ways. Lozano and Politano appear to be pushing each other to be better as well. Politano commented on that in the mix zone after the match. He said, right now, alternating is working well for both players, so it's great to see the harmony between the right wingers. Alternating playing time is also what allows both of them to stay fresh. That's how Politano was able to track back 50 yards to win the ball back late in the first half, which Spalletti appreciated very much, even if Gattuso probably deserves the credit. And then you have the youngsters who, other than Raspadori and Cavada, are basically all understudies to more senior players. You could say that Zerbin is the understudy to Lozano and Politano, 
Gaetano is the understudy to Zielinski, and Zanoli is the understudy to Di Lorenzo. After Wednesday's match, only five players in this squad have yet to feature in this year's Champions League. Salvatore Sirigu, who missed this match with an injury, Davide Marfella, who was not eligible, Huberti Dasiak, another goalkeeper, Karim Zadadka, also not eligible, and Diego Deme, also not eligible. Unfortunately, despite five wins out of five in the group stage, we still haven't clinched top spot in the group. Liverpool beat Ajax 3-0, which means the top of the group and the team that qualifies for the Europa League will both be determined on the final match day. We'll have a difficult match at Anfield ahead of us, but as long as we don't lose by more than three goals, we will finish top of the group. However, before that, we'll have to worry about Sassuolo on Saturday. We'll preview that match in part two. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sportsbooks in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Alright, so let's move on to our preview of the match against Sassuolo on Saturday, which is the opening match of the 12th round of Serie A. Sassuolo come into this match with a record of 4 wins, 3 draws, and 4 losses. That's good enough for 9th in the table with 15 points. Their most recent match was a 2-1 victory over Hellas Verona. They actually conceded the first goal in that match, which was a pretty weak goal early in the match, but they recovered well to get the victory. They also recovered well after suffering consecutive 2-1 defeats against difficult opponents first Inter and then Atalanta. Sassuolo have been a fairly predictable team so far this season in the sense that they've struggled against the top teams and they've earned points against the weaker opposition. They lost to Juve, Udinese, Inter, and Atalanta, though they did manage a draw against Milan, which is a good result. Their wins were against Lecce, Torino, Salernitana, and Hellas Verona. Other than Torino, you would expect them to win those other matches. In addition to Milan, they have draws to Spezia and Cremonese, which I suppose are matches you would expect them to win as well. That record is right on course with where Sassuolo have been pretty much since they returned to Serie A in 2013. They just barely survived that season, but since then, they've finished no worse than 12th in the table, and in 2015-16, they had their best finish, which was 6th in the table. That's really impressive when you consider that, other than Domenico Berardi, they've consistently sold off their best players. In 2015, they sold Simone Zaza to Juventus for 18 million euros. In 2017, they sold Lorenzo Pellegrini to Roma for 10 million 
The following year, they sold Gregoire de Frel to Roma for $15 million. Of course, he returned to Sassuolo a few years later. That same season, they sold Francesco Acerbi to Lazio for $12 million. In 2019, they sold Matteo Politano to Inter for $21 million and Medi Demeral to Juventus for €19.5 million. Euros. They also loaned Stefano Sensi to Inter with an obligation to buy for $25 million. The following season, they sold Alfred Duncan and Paul Lirola to Fiorentina for a combined fee of 26 million euros. And then prior to the start of last season, they loaned Manuel Locatelli to Juventus for two years with an obligation to buy for 25 million euros. With bonuses, that payment could increase to 37.5 million. But the way Juve are playing, I doubt he achieves any of those targets. They also loaned Jeremy Boga to Atalanta for a season with an obligation to buy for 22 million. And finally, this summer, they sold Gianluca Scamacca to West Ham for 36 million euros. And of course, they loaned Giacomo Raspadori to us for 5 million with an obligation to buy for 25 million plus bonuses payable over two seasons. They were also very close to selling Davide Fratesi to Roma, but that deal never happened. I'll come back to Fratesi in a moment, but I fully expect him to be the big name that they sell next season. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Roma is still the buyer. Another player they'll likely cash in on soon is Maxime Lopez, so I'm curious to see who they purchase to play in the midfield. Perhaps Mateus Henrique or Abdu Harawi could step into that role. I think a lot of the credit for Sassuolo's success has to be attributed to Giovanni Carnavali, who, like De Laurentiis, is very hands-on when it comes to the Mercato. Sassuolo do a fantastic job of scouting. The only reason they're able to sell all these top talents is because they always seem to find these diamonds in the rough, which sounds familiar, and generally speaking, they buy before they sell. For instance, they bought Fratesi before they sold Locatelli, so when Locatelli was sold, they already had his replacement in the squad. Now, they may not hit on every player, but Sassuolo generally don't pay much for the players they purchase, so as long as two or three of those new signings pan out, they're doing well financially while still remaining fairly competitive. This season's new signings include midfielder Christian Thorstvedt from Genk, wingers Armand Loriente from FC Lorient and Emil Saide from Rosenberg, and striker Agustin Alvarez from Penarol. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. For Napoli, I think we're going to see the same lineup that we fielded against Roma. We'll line up in the 4-3-3 with Alex Meret in goal. Kim Min-Jay should be back on the right side of the centre-back pairing with Juan Jesus on the left. I think Matias Oliveira will play at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo at right-back. The one position I could be wrong about is Stanislav Lobotka, who I have starting as the Regista. He looked pretty tired at the end of the Rangers match and could be due for a rest, so I wonder if Spalletti might give Diego Demme a start for this one so that Lobotka is fresh for the match against Liverpool next week and also for the match against Atalanta after that. I think Piotr Zielinski will play on the left side of the midfield and I think Andre Frank Zombo and Gisa is going to start on the right now. Normally, I would not expect a player returning from injury to start from the very first minute, but Angisa was in the squad for the Rangers match. He was even amongst the players warming up to enter that match. I think the only reason he didn't play in that match was because of the score, so they afforded him the extra few days of rest just to be safe. But the reason I think Angisa might still start is because Spalletti left Ndombele on the pitch for the full 90 minutes. 
We do have another option though in Gianluca Gaetano. He's made a couple of appearances lately, so I also wouldn't be surprised if he started, but I'm not expecting it because I think he's just too similar to Zielinski. Up top, I think we'll see wholesale changes with a return to the front three who played against Roma. That's Kavicha Kvaraschelia and Chucky Lozano on the wings. They are both fresh after starting the Rangers match on the bench. Cavada didn't even play at all, while Lozano made a brief substitute appearance. And finally, I think Victor Osimen will start at striker after he was rested for the Rangers match as well. For Sassuolo, I think Dionisi will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Andre Consigli in goal. Francesco Ferrari will be back in the squad and should start. As Dionisi said in his pre-match conference, Ferrari is, after all, the captain of the team. I think he will pair with Martin Ehrlich at centre-back. I expect Rogerio to start at left-back and Jeremy Tolian to start at right-back. Maxime Lopez should start in the center of the midfield with Christian Thorsvet to his left and Davide Fratesi to his right. I think Armand Loriente will start again on the left wing. And with Domenico Berardi ruled out once again, I think we'll see Emil Saide again on the right wing. Finally, I expect Andrea Pinamonti to play at striker. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to stop Davide Fratesi. With Scamacca and Raspadori leaving and with Berardi and Defrel missing a lot of time due to injury, Fratesi has been the player that has stepped up to provide the goals. He's only scored four goals, but that is still the most on Sassuolo. Pinamonti has only two goals, so he has yet to fill the void left behind by Scamacca. I think where Fratesi is most dangerous is when he is making late runs into the area, so that is something we definitely need to look out for. He's also very dangerous from the set piece. We've conceded a couple of goals, like the one scored by Joshua Zerxi in the Bologna match, where our midfielders expected the center backs to step up. Instead, the center backs played the pass, and the opponent's striker was left unmarked somewhere around the penalty spot. That's where we'll either need to be better at communicating between the midfielders and the back line, or we'll need our midfielders to keep an eye on that part of the area and to follow the late runs. That could be another reason for starting Angisa, assuming he's fit to play, because he is very good at tracking back and helping to defend, certainly more so than Tangi Ndombele. My second key to the match is we need to be clinical when we get chances to score, because we may not get many. Sassuolo rank 10th in the league in terms of expected goals allowed, but only 4 teams have conceded fewer shot attempts, and only 1 team has conceded fewer shots on target. Taken together, that suggests that when Sassuolo do concede chances, they tend to be good ones and their opponents have taken those chances. In other words, their opponents have been clinical. In case you are wondering, the only team who has conceded fewer shots on target than Sassuolo is Napoli. Dionisi was asked about this in his pre-match conference and he said that they concede few shots because that's the best way to concede the fewest goals, but he expects that that number will go up after playing against Napoli because of the way that Napoli play. He said they will accept individual duels in some areas of the pitch, but they will generally defend as a team. I imagine they might accept 1v1 situations higher up the pitch where there is less of a risk even if they are beaten while they might defend in a zone in their own half. They definitely don't want to get caught in 1v1 situations with any of our forwards. Cavada is too good on the dribble, and Osimen and Lozano can beat you with their pace. 
My third key to the match is to stop another player in Armand Loriente. While Fratesi has the most goals scored, Lauriente is tied with Fratesi with the most goal contributions. He has two goals and two assists on the season, but he's only played six matches for Sassuolo. He started the year with FC Lorient in Ligue 1, where he scored a goal and added an assist in three appearances, so he's actually totaled three goals and three assists this campaign. Now there are two things you need to watch out for with Lauriente. First, he has a very accurate shot. Both goals he scored were Tiregidi from the left side and both were unstoppable shots. They went off the upright at the far post and into the back of the goal. The other thing you have to watch out for is his blistering pace. I expect that Napoli will have most of the ball as we often do, so that means Lauriente can be dangerous on the counterattack. Now he plays on the left wing, so Giovanni Di Lorenzo will have his hands full. Fortunately, if I'm right that Juan Jesus is going to start, then Di Lorenzo will be backed up by Kim Min Jae, and Kim is remarkably quick for a center back, so I think he'll be able to protect Di Lorenzo a little bit, especially if Di Lorenzo gets caught making a run forward. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli victory. For Napoli, I'll give the goals to Osimen, Lozano, and Zielinski, and for Sassuolo, I'll give the goal to Lauriente. I know Sassuolo can be a tricky opponent, and they have certainly been a tricky opponent for us in the recent past. Prior to our 6-1 drubbing of Sassuolo last season, we had two draws and a loss to them, and they were all really disappointing results. Sassuolo were missing a number of key players for the 2-0 loss, which was at the Maradona. The 3-3 draw was the dramatic match where we went ahead with a late penalty, only to concede a late penalty of our own in the 95th minute. There were a number of people to blame there, but none more than Costas Manolas. And then the 2-2 draw was also on a late equalizer. We were actually up 2-0 in that match. So history has shown that Sassuolo are not a team to be taken lightly, at least not for us. And they're a team that can beat any opponent on any given day. That said, we are firing on all cylinders right now. Everyone seems to be playing well, and that has allowed us to rotate our squad. So even though we're playing twice a week and Sassuolo are not, especially after they lost surprisingly to Modena in the Coppa Italia, we're still able to field a pretty fresh squad. My predicted 11 would feature 7 players who did not start against Rangers midweek. Who knows, it could actually be 8 players if Diego Demme or Gianluca Gaetano start over Stanislav Lobotka as the Regista. Now as I mentioned, this is the first match of the round. For those of us in North America, that means this match is first thing in the morning, so my mood all weekend will be based on how this match goes. I'm not sure how I feel about playing in the early match, but generally speaking, I don't mind. It gives us a chance to put some pressure on the teams that are chasing us at the top of the table. On the flip side, there could be added pressure of playing first, knowing that the rest of the teams chasing us have relatively easy matches this round. Now Milan have an equally tricky match against Torino, but they rotated heavily for their midweek match against Dinamo Zagreb, so Milan should win that match. They always seem to find a way to win anyhow. Lazio play Salernitana, Atalanta play Empoli, Roma play Hellas Verona, Udinese play Cremonese, Inter play Sampdoria, and Juventus play Lecce. But still, I think I'd rather play first than last. I feel like there would be much more pressure on us knowing that all of those other sides have already won their respective matches. 
Playing in the early match also provides the added benefit of a few extra hours of rest, which is useful considering we'll probably have only one maybe two training sessions before traveling to England to play against Liverpool on Tuesday. If you're betting on this match, be sure to check the Betstamp app to find the best lines available in your region. You're not going to get great value on the money line. If you're taking Napoli on the goal line, I'd suggest using a book that offers Napoli at minus 1.5 or even minus 1.75, even if that offers a lower payout than you would get from a book offering Napoli at minus 2. So for me, I can get Napoli at plus 140 with cool bet, but the goal line is at minus 2, meaning a 3-1 Napoli win would result in a push. Instead, I can take Napoli minus 1.75 at Betway for around plus 105, so the payout is lower, but I would win my bet if Napoli won 3-1. You can apply the same logic to the total if you're going to bet the over, which has generally been a safe play for Napoli matches, you're better off using a book that offers a total of 3.5 instead of 3.25 because you need 4 goals to win either way. For me, Unibet and Northstar are offering the best payout at plus 118 on a total of 3.5. So that is where I'll leave it. I hope you enjoyed the match. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Pod. I will be back next week to review this match and to preview our next one, which is a big one against Liverpool at Anfield on Tuesday. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network.